mission to explore the far reaches of cinema. Three daring adventurers dive deep into the Criterion and beyond. These are the tales of their adventures. This is Cynonauts! Hey, this is Ian. I'm Boom. This is Catcher. And welcome to the second episode of Synonauts Exploring the Criterion. Uh, thanks to everyone who listened to our first episode. It is greatly appreciated. Thanks to everyone who followed us on social media. If you rated us on Apple Podcasts, if you tweeted about us, all that sorts of stuff. Very, very much appreciated. Uh, how do you guys feel? First episode's out. What's it like? Yeah, no, it was fun, exciting. Loved it. I'm excited for the, our future adventures. So My mother could not be more <laughs> excited about the Armageddon episode. <laughs> She called. Uh, she yeah. she's Good. hyped about it. Hyped about it. Yeah, well, we're, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to tease that one out for a little bit. But when it comes, it's gonna be. That's what I yeah. told her. I said, "Hold your breath. That's gonna be a special episode, fiftieth <laughs> anniversary episode. That's gonna be the one we cover. Until then, you gotta you gotta listen every week. Find out when it's gonna be." I also cannot wait for the Armageddon episode. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. I'm glad my plan is working out already. If you're joining us for the first time, this is Synonauts. I'm Ian. And like we said before, my co-hosts are Catcher and Boom. Uh, each week we talk about a film in the Criterion Collection or ones that are on the Criterion channel. And then we're going to start doing some episodes where we think, you know, this movie is not in the Criterion Collection, but we think it should be. And we'll put those films up for debate. It's going to be a good time. Uh, if you haven't followed us on social media, you can head over to Instagram and Twitter at Synonauts. And uh, if you want to leave us a voicemail or an email, we'll get those read out at synonautspod at gmail.com. Catcher, boom. What did you two watch, listen to, read this week? Who wants to go first? Oh, boom. You look like you got a heavy heart. Do you want to go? <laughs> Do you want to go? Or I can go. Sure. No, I'll go. I'll, I'll take you guys on this journey with me. I had a wild content heavy weekend. So I had a long week. So on Friday, I was like, I'm just going to chill, like crush some movies, you know, eat some snacks. I was on this website. Um, it's like a streaming site, but on the uh -oh. index, like everything is just like in text. So one of the things that I saw was trending was the vow. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, but I was like Channing Tatum, like <laughs> Rachel McAdams, <laughs> super down. So down for this. Like, I just need a mindless moment. Um, just want to see some love happening on screen. Anyway, so I click on this and it was not The Vow um, starring Channing Tatum and Rachel McAdams. It was the docu-series yes. about the Nixium cult. Um, so I saw the little blurb and I was like, you know what? Like, it was like current day sex cult. I was like, down. Um, so... <laughs> So I watched that in its entirety. I think I watched it wow. Friday night and then Saturday. It's like wow. 10 hours of con <laughs> content. Just this. got so just got that absolutely. Guy, that guy just got put away for 125 yeah. years like this today, right? This afternoon. Yeah. Keith Raniere, he's he's called. Yeah. So he's just been um, sentenced to life. So total scumbag. Total scumbag. Oh, absolutely. And if you the thing about this, it the docuseries, like, it's very informative. They have, so because he's such a, like, narcissist, they just have so much footage. Because one of the guys was, like, a documentary filmmaker 
who got involved in the cult. Mark, you'll see him. He's featured a lot in the docuseries. So they just documented absolutely everything. Um, so they just Hilarious. have, yeah, they just have so much content. That Mark guy, sketchy. I don't like that guy. He seems to be trying to like absolve himself of the cr- terrible shit that he did just by making this documentary series while like, participating. And I don't like the vibe mm. I'm getting. Okay, I 100% agree with you. And just based on the conversations I've been having with some people, I think that might be an unpopular opinion. But I was watching that and I was just like, yes. Like one thing this docuseries brings to light is just like you see these men who have been involved in this cult um, kind of just like you see them working through like their guilt and, and coming out of it. It's interesting to see, but at the same time, I do think um, Mark especially should be indicted. I, he played a huge part in that. Like he was Keith Ranieri's like right hand man. Um, so just to see him also just centering himself and his own emotions, like throughout the entire, um, show was, Mm. was frustrating to me. So the rage, the rage is carried over. My, my thing with Nexvium or Nixvium, however you pronounce it is like, okay, I get it. You want to be like an actor. You want to be famous in Hollywood. Yeah. But like that, those are the actors who are, you are trying, like those aren't the good actors to pull you into the cult. If you're going to join a cult to Allison become an actor. Mack. Yeah. Do, do Scientology. Like, come on, what are you doing? Right. You can't even choose the right cult. You got to start somewhere. You know, they didn't start with Tom Cruise. <laughs> that's true. You know, no, you're I right. guess they move their way up to Tom Cruise. <laughs> you know, you I, start with Allison Mack and then yeah. you get Ryan Reynolds later. <laughs> Right, because this was all in Vancouver. Well, they're they're kind of all over, but the headquarters, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But one of the the second main headquarters was in Vancouver, and that's how they got those actors or actresses or both yeah. because they were shooting in Vancouver at the time. Yeah. So it was interesting to see all these like actors who have reached like mid level success just like succumbing to the ways of this cult so easily. Like I understand it's more complicated than that, but. Right. I'm just like, it would be Allison Mack, though. That that was my weekend. <laughs> that was your weekend. That's a strong weekend. Uh, Catch, how about you? I will talk about a couple films. Nice. But all of those films have been trumped by the enjoyment I had just not 25 minutes ago when I found on my Instagram feed Kyle Lowry, superstar point guard of the <laughs> uh, Toronto Raptors, had his Ferrari... His first Ferrari delivered to him today. And I just want to say, Kyle, way to go. You deserve it, buddy. And enjoy it. Enjoy every day and every minute you have driving that car because you are the man. And I just wanted to thank him. Um, okay. couple movies. One, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Nice. Dennis Rodman. Double team. This movie I watched when I was a kid and I saw someone mention it in my Twitter feed. I was like, can I watch that? Of course. Boom fellow Canadians, CTV app has all of Jean-Claude Van Damme's movies (laughs) through time. All of them for some reason. So this regular, yeah, it's amazing. So I watched Double Team. Premise of the movie is I'm not even sure because it changes like every five minutes what the purpose of what's (laughs) happening is. But at a certain point of the movie, he's trying to escape like a jail. Part of the plan of escaping requires him to hold his breath for like eight minutes underwater. Mm Mm-hmm. And so he does this by training in his bathtub and lighting a cigarette and having the cigarette burn down. And every time, and during this training montage, (laughs) he comes out of the water 
and looks to see how far the cigarette has gotten, and it's absolutely perfect. The rest of the movie is a disaster, <laughs> obviously. Um, Dennis Rodman plays a gun. What are the people that sell guns, but just like low key on the mm-hmm. black market kind of deal? That's what he does. Mm-hmm. Gun Arms runner. dealer. He's a gun runner. Gun runner Arms sure. dealer. Yeah. Exactly. It sounds like a fun time, though. It is a blast. There is a scene where there's like a circus, maybe, and there's landmines underneath the gravel of the thing, and there's a tiger that attacks them, and it's it's awesome. Everyone should watch Double Team. And then I also watched Lawless for the first time. I haven't seen that. It's uh, Shia LaBeouf. Mm, Love Shia. um, Tom Hardy. And a whole bunch of other people, Jessica Chastain, Gary Oldman, and a whole bunch of other people. And it's like takes place during Prohibition. Hmm. And uh, Tom Hardy, Shia LaBeouf, and uh, some other guy, everybody knows whose name I always forget, Jason Clark. There you mm-hmm. go. Uh, they are brothers mm-hmm. running booze. And they're tr- and the government is coming down on them and putting the twist on them. And they're fighting back. And it's pretty fun. I have kind of a hot take on yeah, Tom Hardy. Please. I don't think Tom Hardy's a good actor. He's just in good movies. I was with, oh, wow. I was watching the movie with someone and she's like, can't you watch, can't you see Tom Hardy acting right now? Are you watching him act? And I was like, <laughs> he is kind of acting right now. Like, I feel the same way about Jessica Chastain. Mm, I like oh, Chastain. No. I'm a fan of Chastain. Me too. I'm a fan of Tom Hardy. Okay. Okay. This, this will, we agree to disagree here on Synodox. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if I'm a fan of his acting or just a fan, a fan of, of, him. of him. Sure. That's fair. Yeah. He, I don't know. He's he makes very good choices of films to be in, but he is never the best or like second or third best part of those movies. Like, you know, people yeah. say, well, Mad Max, like, well, he's definitely not the best part of Mad Max Fury Road. Like, uh, you know, he's in the worst of the Dark Knight trilogy movies, I would say. Yeah, but his character in uh, what's it called? What's the uh, Inception? Uh, see, I don't really like Inception either. This is going to be a... You don't have to like the movie, I, but uh, his character is kind of fun, but he's not in it very much. That's true. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting things coming to light. <laughs> <laughs> so many truths being revealed. Oh, no. <laughs> and the last thing is I just started the first episode of this show. Apparently, it was a ginormous hit in the UK. Mm. Girl, I'm seeing she's from the UK. Mm-hmm. So she was telling me all about this show. It's called Happy Valley. Mm. Um, and it's kind of interesting. It's like a it's like a serious sort of every, like day-to-day cop show. Mm-hmm. But then also there's like a weird plot with kidnapping. And certain scenes are really intense but grounded and fun and interesting. And then some scenes, it feels like a comedy. And the mm. tone is all over the place. And I don't know what I'm watching from minute to minute. And this is really <laughs> exciting to me. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm left at the end of the first episode being like, wow, I yeah, I'm coming for episode two just because I don't know what's going to happen. So uh, I'm happy Valley is my new journey and I will be updating everybody every week on how my journey is going. I'm excited for you. Uh, I watched the new Sofia Coppola movie. Um, with uh, It's on Apple TV plus called On the Rocks with Rashida Jones and uh, Bill Murray. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. I mean, I think I like Sofia Coppola movies because they typically have like a lot of style. They have a really cool, like pop music drops and, uh, outfits are cool, but on the rocks didn't really have a lot of that. Um, I thought the ending was very good. I think the payoff was, was pretty solid. So it was worth it getting there. You know, I, I just don't think it's as good as some of the films that I really love of hers. 
And then the last movie I watched uh, is Aaron Sorkin's new film, The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Uh, oh yes. Okay. <laughs> I also watched it. So you you go, go ahead. Trial of the Chicago Seven, written and directed by Aaron Sorkin, who I love, um, starring a whole bunch of people: Sasha Baron Cohen, Eddie Redmayne, uh, Yaha Abdul Mateen II, Jeremy Strong, Mark Rylance, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, etc. Uh, I really, really liked it. I gave it a four and a half out of five. I thought it was so good. So if you don't like Aaron Sorkin, do not watch this movie because it is very Aaron Sorkin. The story that they're telling is highly relevant to what is happening in America today. Maybe too relevant, um, but I enjoyed it. It's incredibly frustrating watching what is happening to these um, these uh, peaceful protesters who are basically conspired against to be taken to court uh as like a, for creating violence and inciting a riot in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some scenes like I'm not a huge Eddie Redmayne fan. Like I like him, but Eddie Redmayne, Sasha Baron Cohen and Mark Rylance are so good in this movie. There's a scene with Eddie Redmayne and Mark Rylance where I put it like top three, top five Aaron Sorkin moments, like up there with the social network when, you know, with the, uh, the opening bet- scene, the opening scene or where he's like, you better lawyer up asshole. Cause I'm coming for you. Like, it's like that level of Sorkinism and and awesome intense dialogue. So I loved it. Uh, I thought it was really that the, good. Is that when they're practicing? The yeah, dep- the, the, the fake the fake cross examination. I was losing my mind. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. like Sorkin does this thing where he is able to superimpose scenes going on, dialogue and cut between the two like with perfection. I don't think any other director can do it as well as he does. Uh, and this in that the, that scene, he does it better than anything I think that he's done in that style. Uh, it's getting mixed reviews, um, but I really from, liked it. From yours truly, one of those mixed reviews. Okay, hit me. From me. Hit me. Okay, so I hear where you're coming from in terms of its relevance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very relevant. Um, <laughs> obviously, it's quite relevant, even as we were talking last week, you know, in terms of like the riots that were going on and why people are doing it and the power of protest, mm-hmm. which is always a message you want to preach. Always. It's always a positive thing. The problem is... Okay, one, I find the direct in, direction is quite lacking just from like a film perspective. I didn't find there to be anything super like engaging from that way. We know the struggle that's going on right now. And I don't need to be reminded in such a sort of like surface level way the complications that are happening in the real world right now. Like what we need to mm-hmm. not do is sandpaper over everything to smooth it out to make it feel like have this sort of like aspirational quality to it, which I think Aaron Sorkin is like really big into the idea that the um, they have what is named Bob Bobby Seal is that his name? Mm-hmm. He was like the black guy that was also sort of like thrown in with them. Mm-hmm. He was one of the co-founders of the Black Panthers. His storyline is like a whatever subplot to this film. It feels like, and it's like you're he, he feels. His character's inclusion just feels like, hey, systematic racism is also part of the problem. Don't worry. We would never forget that part. <laughs> it's here in the movie. See, we gave screen time to him. See? And then he disappears after being treated incredibly terribly. And even that the, that whole sequence is shot so bleh. Mm. And then he disappears and we never hear from him again. And it's like, what was even... You threw him in there because you needed the clout of having the black story being told. And I feel Mm. like, yes, the story is powerful. 
yes, what happened to them is a really big deal and a great that we have legal documents to prove it, right? Like that's what's really great about core dramas is like we've got the legal precedent to say these are the words and these are the things that were done. And I think that's powerful. But I think right now what we don't need is more of this aspirational stuff and more about real stories that feel more nuanced. And I feel like he's someone who like likes to make everything get wrapped up really nicely, which is what he's really good at doing. Mm-hmm. But I think you lose some of the, there's something that gets lost in that translation that is the reason why we're in the situation we're in now, which is we're not <laughs> taking the time to really understand the minutia of why something is bad or how, why things have gotten bad. And I think that's where it, it's not a bad movie. The accents slip here or there, which is weird. Sure. The directions is wonky. There's nothing really bad about the movie. I just think it's a little tone deaf for the world that we're living in right now, which is not entirely his fault given what's happened over the last few months, but could have been more. I think that's, Boom, you're going to have to be the tiebreaker next week. So you're going to have to let I was, us know. I was going to say, so Ian's watched it, Catcher's watched it. So I'm going to watch it and uh, put my hat in this race. Okay. If that's <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned. If you have seen The Trial of the Chicago 7, or you want to give us your thoughts on Parasite or this week's episode on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, go ahead and shoot us an email. Leave us a voicemail, synodotspod at gmail.com. Or leave us a comment, tweet at us, IG, that's at Sendonauts on both. But let's get into it. This week's pick was picked by Catcher himself. Where are you taking us to? Okay, so we're going to go back to 1974, get in our time machines. And we show up and we're sort of dealing with two major things. One is the overwhelming feeling of distrust and uh, feelings of deception brought on by the Watergate scandal and everything that's happening and the fallout from that. And as well, we've been dealing with the Vietnam War for many years. It will be coming to an end in a few months, but obviously the emotions of that are high. And on top of that, we are dealing with the ramifications of having a live feed, essentially a live, not really, but essentially a live feed from that war coming to the homes of everyday average Americans. And just the amount of brutal violence that people are seeing and coming in contact with every day. And with a sort of urban killer film, horror film, in the back of his mind already, Toby Hooper decides he's going to use these feelings of anxiety, use this over, overwhelming uh, access to violence, and and he's going to embed that into this film, you know, with... Obviously, the family that we'll meet in this film and their sort of disassociation to violence and grotesque behavior and the regularity of that kind of lifestyle for them. And then as well, with the sort of beginning of this film, he's really utilizing that sense of deceit and that feeling of distrust and using that against the audience you know, claiming that this is a real film, this is based on real circumstances, and really trying to capture the unease of the moment. And I think from my perspective, does an amazing job. So that's what we're going to be covering today. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm very excited. Ian? Yes, I am very excited. Have you two seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre before? The original one? 
Um, I have not seen the original, so I only have seen the remake back in the day. Mm. I actually went to theaters to see it, but this was my first time watching the original. Yeah, this is the first time. Uh, I was, I've been really, really excited to watch this movie. Horror has become something that's like really fun and exciting for me in the last few years. Mm-hmm. And so the idea to go back and, well, just to go and, and see where a lot of like, a lot of really great stuff started, came from. It's been really cool to just like experience that. So no, not yet. And this was so much fun to do. You hit around the head. Like this movie is wildly influential. Like obviously in the slasher genre, um, but something that stuck out to me also on this watch, I haven't seen it in a couple of years, was that it really captures like this faux documentary style really, really well. Um, you know, for the opening scene, it has like that title read with a voiceover saying like basically what you are about to watch, um, giving like the synopsis of the whole movie of what happens to these kids. Uh, and, you know, that sort of idea is replicated several times in horror movies. I mean, uh, Paranormal Activity obviously is one like that. Uh, the Blair Witch Project, those are probably the two biggest like sort of found footage style um, horror movies. And this kind of like is the first one. It's not like a direct found footage version, but it's shot like a documentary. The way it opens like that, it feels like it's supposed to be like it feels very real. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it really it's pretty like creepy when, when I like movies like this. I, I love when you get to see that because at the time, you know, 1974 there's no twitter there's no there's no internet obviously and so i imagine people watching this just being like mortified like holy crap like even if it's not true like is are what parts are based on a true story like can i find articles about this i mean it's wild like imagining watching this in theaters in 1974 is something like would have been so cool to experience a hundred percent that's one thing that i was thinking while i was watching it um i was having such a fun time while watching it, but I also just wished with my whole heart that it could be, (laughs) that I could be watching it like in its original screenings. I think it would have just been such an insane experience based on how groundbreaking it was and also what was going on at the time. Um, And just the way that people, audiences were engaging with film. Like I think that this was, did a lot of firsts I, I love like the whole opening of this film. There's like kind of like two or three openings mm-hmm. sort of like you do yeah. get this sort of pre, like you said, this text of like setting it up where like this is a real story. This happened, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, but then you go into what I've learned recently is like one of my favorite movie tropes ever, which is like voiceover via radio narration yes. is so fun. Like all this, it just it gives such like a great grounded feeling. You're like, okay, well, this is the news. I'm hearing the news. The news is telling me this, and all of a sudden, you get it. Just helps you get yeah. so immersed and makes everything that's happening feel so much more real. Totally, it's like really setting an atmosphere, like right from the get go, and you're uncomfortable then the entire time. Yeah, it controls it so well. Like it's it starts you off, starts with those like that fla- also that flashing imagery that you get mm. of like and that sound effect that. <laughs> yeah, right. The the shutter expo like uh, going off, and everything is feeling creepy. And then again, you find out it's like a real story. You're like, oh, this is weird. And then you hear about like someone like digging up corpses, and then you see what they've done with these corpses, and you're like, this is so strange. And then you see that armadillo, that poor armadillo, and it's on its <laughs> back, and you know, like these people are the armadillo. You know, they are about yeah. to get into some big trouble, and it slowly starts ramping up the tension from there so fun 
it's interesting how like everything is just so gross and putrid like right from the beginning it like really assaults all the senses if that makes any sense like it's just so gruesome and I don't know I just felt like I could like smell like smell the movie almost (laughs) yeah while I was watching it it was it was wild and so gross (laughs) I mean, in terms of like setting you up for like, you know, things are about to go down. I mean, being in America and as a person Mm. of color, the last place I ever want to be is driving in the middle of like nowhere in the South and having to pull over and like fill up gas somewhere. Uh, Oh, yeah. You know, that that's just like that alone is nightmare fuel. Uh, Obviously, the, the, the people in this movie are all white, but they are hippies. So they are probably treated a little differently down there. Uh, and they have uh, they have poor Franklin who's in the wheelchair too. But you know, all that stuff is just like all these signs point yeah. to no. hundred <laughs> percent. Trouble is trouble. Yeah, yeah trouble's like, on the way. There's danger just like lurking behind every corner right from the get go. Like when they enter the town and all those like weirdos are there at the cemetery, and they just seem so unaware. Like you as the viewer, you're just like, why are you even there? Like get out. And they just keep going and they're so unaware of it until things start happening. And even then, like, there's still <laughs> this, like, element of them just not really knowing and understanding what's happening until they're dead. There's, like, a 1960s, 70s vibe of, like, safety mm-hmm. that is, like, kind of, like, sewn throughout this movie where it's just, like, even we'll get to later, but, like, even the way they just walk into these houses that are in the middle of nowhere that are not theirs, that they feel comfortable enough to just like walk in there. It's like, there's a certain level of like what bad could possibly happen to you. And I think what's great about that is like the audience sort of in a weird way already knows what's about to happen to them. And it just makes it that much more cringy as you're watching them make smaller and smaller mistakes that are leading to bigger and bigger consequences. Mm. The first big consequence uh, comes, it, it takes 35 minutes into the movie before we A, really see, we see Leatherface, uh, who is the Texas Chainsaw wielder. Uh, and then that kill though, it's like they're looking for, um, they're kind of exploring around these houses that, and they walk into this house and like there's just carcasses everywhere. It can't smell good. Like, what are you doing? I mean, come on. Why are you not afraid or turned <laughs> off by all of the weird skeleton bones on the wall and the clearly st- I, I don't a treasure trove of stolen cars yeah. that are, are clearly, well, for at least from the viewer, the cars of people who have made this poor mistake just like these poor souls have made plenty of times before. And their car is definitely going to get added yes. to that collection. You're done. It's over. And then you just walk right into that house. On my part, there was so much yelling happening. And I, and I was watching this alone. And I was yelling at the TV. I was like, what <laughs> are you doing? And and that's the part about watching it in the theater, like with people also. I mean, you know, one of the, uh, at least in terms of film, ex- watching movies in this time of COVID is that you don't get to see these movies. Uh, you don't see horror movies or movies that are, I feel like are meant to be experienced in an audience. Like, um, I know. I know Jordan Peele said when he was writing get out, he wrote that with the intention. Like, I want people yelling at the screen and like really having a ball in the theater and this movie. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and this movie I feel like is like sort of the same way. I mean, in terms of like 
the sound, obviously like the chainsaw is the loud thing. Like hearing that in the theater is like something else. I mean, hearing that even like, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm watching it at home out of the speakers, like it's still like unsettling how loud it's very unsettling how loud that is. But then in addition to that, like you said, there's the screaming, there's all the sound effects they have of like pots clattering, all that sort of stuff. I mean, Toby Hooper yeah. does a really good job of creeping you out. Boom. You said like all the senses. I mean, you feel like you can smell it. You hear these things. Uh, it, everything looks unsettling. 100%. The use of sound in this film is quite outstanding, I'd say. I think it takes you exactly where you need to be when you need to be there. And some of the choices that are made aren't what you would think would be the obvious choices, but they really work out really well. Um, one thing I have in mind is when we first meet Leatherface, And there's no like background music playing. There's no sound effects, everything. Like the only sound that's being made is the sound from the house and like the things that are happening around them. It creates a a natural atmosphere, like a a very natural atmosphere, which again goes back to the the documentary style Mm -hmm. where it's the camera is, you know, it's it's not always handicam, but it's moving around. It's getting close. And, it, and it's really trying to capture what's happening to them on a second-by-second second basis. You go along for the ride with them, mm. and it's like it's such a, a great totally. feeling to have. I don't know. Even though it's like a scary thing, it's like it, it's exactly sort of what you want. It's that rise in tension. It's, the, it's like when you're out in the woods with your friends, you know, and you're hiking or something, and it's like you're always, you get nervous about, oh, is something – what was that? What was that noise? Oh, my goodness. And right. then the way that – again, with the sound, when we finally do meet Leatherface and it's this sort of like, it's what happens is so quick. It's just like mm. all the, everything is slow burn, slow burn. And then all of a sudden it's like one hammer and a twitch and he grabs he's him down. and then he's in the back and then the door and that sound of that door slamming. And you're like, okay, and now here we go. This is like, now things are about to kick off. Let's chat a little bit about our main character, uh, Marilyn Burns plays Sally Hardesty. Talking about legacy and influence, I mean, Sally is often credited as the original Final Girl. So for those who are unaware, uh, Final Girl is basically a term in horror movies or slasher flicks where basically everyone dies except the one girl who lives. That's <laughs> um, also the term Final Girl. Credit to her, I cannot imagine what it must have been like filming this movie because, uh, boom, you said it's very loud. The last 30 minutes of this movie, yeah. she is just screaming she almost has no dialogue. She is screaming the whole time. I mean, I was very worried for her vocal cords the entire time. I was like, "Oh Jesus!" <laughs> she comes around with some other people her her brother Franklin and then three other friends of hers as well. I do want to call out they're so mean to Franklin. Franklin is her brother who is in a you know he he's in a he's in a wheelchair and it was his idea to go look for like their old family farm or something like that. And they just mm-hmm. abandoned him. <laughs> they abandoned the poor guy <laughs> left and right. They don't help him out of the car. They're always like, they're going making out uh, in the lake. They're kind of abandoning him all over. And the poor guy is just sitting alone. And they just treat him like a nuisance. Yeah, they treat him like they're not helpful. I mean, justice for Franklin. He deserved better, I think. Justice for Franklin, 100%. And one thing, because we were talking about Sally, um, and she is a very interesting character. And the first final girl which I think is iconic and very exciting um but one thing I noticed about this movie or one way I felt about it is there's not a lot of depth to the characters you don't necessarily need need it Mm -hmm. because the story is just unfolding exactly um how 
it should, like everything's great. But I think Franklin is like the only one we really kind of get any real insight on. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, so, so I do find that interesting because he's kind of like a curious fellow. He's smart. He, he's kind of a nerd. Like he knows a lot about the meatpacking industry. <laughs> <laughs> Which is irrelevant in this case because he's sort of like, he sort of knows, even though he doesn't know like what's about to happen to them, he sort of like lays out yeah. sort of the gory future they have in store for them, describing sort of like yeah. that what that meat packing plant nearby, what they do. It's like his description of that. You're like, Oh God, you have totally. no idea how real that's about to get for you. Um, and, yeah. but I do think it's kind of interesting because he is, it's not that the movie doesn't treat him well, the characters don't. And I find that interesting. Yeah. Like they do make him a full fledged character, you know, like he does, like you said, you learn the most about, about the movie from him. You learn his inner feelings, how, what he's going through, his emotions, Mm-hmm. So it's sort of sad the way they also then knock him off later, which is like so you don't even see you don't even see him, and she, you know, you get the final girl by him losing his life, and maybe that's <laughs> yeah. what's interesting. You know, it's like you've been following him, and now he's gone, and now she's the one that survives. That's sort of like yeah. maybe that's why she finally gets it's like this be- transfer that mm-hmm. happens in the, in the dark dark woods. But <laughs> yeah. I was I was mad about that. I think they did Franklin dirty. Um, I think he deserved, I mean, I know it was never going to be a noble death, but <laughs> it's just like they just offed him so quickly. And that was one part of the film. It was like very dark. Um, and With his it, back to camera as well. He doesn't even get like a glory, like face shot of like, Oh, <laughs> and then exactly. he's dead. It's you just, it's the back and that's, it's over. You never see Franklin again. And especially how much he had been picked on. I just would have liked to see him in a moment where he could fight back just a little. I, I think that would have been pretty dope. Some urgency. Even when it's just Sally and Franklin and they're both aware, like this is bad. Sally is still ignoring, <laughs> ignoring him. He's saying, let's wait by the car. Like a car will drive by. And she's like, no, we have to go after them. Yeah. And that's what leads to, to his death. Yeah. My only qualm with my boy, Franklin is the way he yells Sally's name. He, he's like, Sally, <laughs> Sally. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> that that is also unsettling to me. All the acting is very seventies. That's yes. for sure. Like it's just at that yeah. crossover point where, like, you know, bitches start getting method. Like, <laughs> there's this like very like specific kind of approach to acting mm-hmm. in in the earlier days, especially like the six, well, like 50s, 60s, 70s. So, and in that movie. There's still a, a, a bit of that lingering, but yeah. Sally! <laughs> Sally! But even that style of acting, like, I come to expect that when I'm watching, like, a, a just a popcorn slasher movie. Like, you know, yeah. it's, it, it is movies like this that sort of, like, trained the audience to not really expect great acting <laughs> all the time. No. Sally! But that's what makes it fun, right? Well, I think it's also, like, a byproduct of horror films tend to get made with small budgets and you yeah. get mm. small time actors with small time budgets. There's not a bad thing. It's like, you're not in it, this movie for the acting you're in it for yeah. a, a list of 15 other things before you hit that. So right. I'm fine with that, but that is interesting that maybe that's a byproduct of the movies that got popular is like, we've now trained ourselves not to expect a certain level of acting, which is why something like hereditary just like stands out so much when it comes out where you're just like, Oh wow, it's horror. And there's great acting. 
love uh, yeah um we need to move on quickly before i just start talking about hereditary. <laughs> <laughs> well hereditary is on my list of movies that i want to discuss oh, for I'm so stoked. uh should be added to the criterion so hopefully we'll get to that in the near future yeah. but yeah so sally is running around uh franklin dies her other friends die in less than ideal circumstances uh and then I think where the movie like really takes off for me is when she uh, is running to try and find help because uh, she's being chased around by Leatherface. She goes to the uh, gas station owner who's down the, down the road a bit. And then it turns out that the gas station owner, he's like the dad of Leatherface. So he is mm-hmm. part of like this creepy family. They have this really shitty fight in this gas station where she is holding like a knife and he is holding a broomstick and he beats her off with a broomstick <laughs> which I think is goofy as hell. Yeah. Totally crazy. That's yeah. crazy. How is that even a thing that's possible that he beat her with that broom? <laughs> she just like dropped the knife and just, that was it. It was over. Yeah. That was a magic broom. And then he takes her to the house and this is where you meet Le- really get to meet Leatherface again with the rest of the family. And who I think is creepier than Leatherface is the grandpa. Ugh, yeah. They're having like this dinner scene and, uh, mm. you know, they say, bring down grandpa. And you're not really sure who grandpa is until they bring him down. You realize earlier in the movie, Sally actually meets quote unquote meets grandpa up in the attic when she's first running away from Leatherface before she jumps out the window for the first time. And I thought it was a dead, you know, you think it's a dead body, but then they bring him down and the dude is alive and like they cut her finger (laughs) and then they start like sucking her thumb of blood. And the sound he makes is, is so gross and it's Boone's like gonna throw up and I'm <laughs> yeah. right there with her. It's so gross. I that whole sequence it. is disgusting. It's disgusting. And I think that that is for me like the most horrifying part of that whole movie. Like imagine oh, yeah. like, oh, <laughs> it's so that's like Mitch McConnell sucking on your thumb. Like it's just <laughs> just imagine that. Yeah, no, it's so true. <laughs> it's and what's even grosser about that is I was doing some research about the movie. And uh, so they were filming that like in Texas and it was super hot during recording. Then Leatherface guy who's holding the knife, I guess he was just so hot in there. He was going a little delirious and he actually cuts her finger for real. <laughs> and so that blood that's like on her thumb and that goes into that dude's mouth, real, real blood. So that's even, it's like disgusting to watch. And now you all have to share the pain of that knowledge <laughs> because I learned it and I'm not going to be the only one with that in my brain now. Yeah, it was it's crazy. Bringing us down with you, eh? It's such a crazy turn at least from my perspective now, like having seen so many movies and like since then, you know, so many horror films, so many films that were inspired by that, by this movie. It's such a weird twist to get this weird like family dynamics scene. Mm-hmm. Like you go through all this sort of like slashery styled stuff that happens at the beginning, all these deaths that go on. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden the back half of the movie becomes this weird like twisted sort of like out of the hills have eyes or something mm-hmm. like where you've got this weird family violent dynamic and it's such an interesting thing because having again not seen it you always see Leatherface he's always the person that gets put on the posters Mm -hmm. and for good reason he's visually striking Mm -hmm. and like I guess the prototype for all of this sort of like big lug slasher serial like killers and film from here forward sort of inspired by him but it's Mm -hmm. just so weird to like have that in your mind to see him do that weird slasher stuff and then, you know, two thirds of the way through the movie, he's wearing a wig and <laughs> he's now got makeup on the mask and he's sort of playing. He's this wearing like, a suit. 
a suit. Yeah, like he's playing this sort of like I guess like motherly role sort of at the dinner table, yeah. and it's it's becoming this sort of like nuclear family thing. <laughs> and I just think that's kind of it. Sort of goes one place and then turns a bit, and it, and it starts exploring even more interesting ideas. And I just think that's this film is like full of full of like really interesting and cool approaches that I mean are clearly the reason why it's been so influential, I think. And like, it's not obvious the way they introduce like the family dynamic. I think that's such a cool twist. Like, first of all, that the guy who's supposed to help her like is in with the family, you know, he's, he's the, the leader of it, I guess I could say he's never like, this is my child. And, and the man, <laughs> the boy you picked up hitchhiking is also my child. You know, they just, it's just kind of like she comes to, and it's like, yeah, you're, you're in this house. And the, and like you're, you put together like, Oh, sh like all these people are, are in the same family. Um, it's a nice little effect there that they don't like, uh, you know, try and force down your throat that like you, you put it together. I think it's great. Let's chat about Leatherface, the man himself. We already talked about his fly style, his wig and makeup changes. Boom. What, what were your thoughts uh, the first time you got to see Leatherface like in action in this movie? I guess what I'd seen of Leatherface before was like I when I saw the remake, mm -hmm. which is so like the depiction of that character is just so different. And and I'm talking about the Jessica Biel remake. <laughs> like, I, I don't know if you guys remember, but there's like this moment where he's, you see him like putting one of like his victim's face on his face. I don't remember that. I've never seen the remake. That's the, in the remake. Yeah. It's just this like overstated kind of like gruesome horror mm -hmm. that the original just didn't need getting to meet like the original Leatherface was fun. Mm -hmm. Um, he's just very unhinged and I don't fully understand his motive. <laughs> That's part his of it. Motives. <laughs> yeah. And, but it's still thrilling. Right. And you're, you're just watching the way he moves and he is terrifying. <laughs> and I, and I think one of the reasons is because I mean, other kind of like slasher dudes like Michael Myers, mm -hmm. Jason, like they're so like calm, cool, collected almost. Mm. Like they're just kind of like, huh. yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. they're just like on a nightly stroll, <laughs> gonna kill some people. I'm gonna stand in your sheets, your bed sheets, <laughs> right, while they right. hang dry. Right. Yeah, and and Leatherface is just like, I don't know, like he's in it to fucking win it. Yeah, he's like manic. I didn't. I never. I didn't think about yeah. that. Yeah, he's like. Yeah, and I think too. What's sort of interesting, just again, since it is sort of considered one of the like the original slasher films, what I find really interesting, again, boom, like what you were saying, in terms of the ki the killer in this case isn't stalking its prey, oh. like which is so often the thing with slasher films. Like in this film, it's like they come to him constantly. It's ah. it's through their choice to come there. They break onto the property, they walk into the house, then they become victims. He doesn't even have to go anywhere. Ah. Like they just come feeding through the door. But it's just like, it's almost like he's like a child and these are his toys. Like, mm. you know, mm -hmm. he just like happens upon them and he's like, oh, fun things to play with and, you know, dismember. Yeah. What? Do, oh, I get to do, you know, if, if something comes on the property, it's all yours, buddy. Yeah. You mm. can do with it what you want. No, and it's true. And I think um, what's cool too and what I really wasn't expecting was how much like the house itself has a presence mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and like yeah. how the house itself sort of feels like a, like a black hole or something where sort of everything that sort of falls in into its perimeter is, 
is dead one way or another, you know, like mm. people, like I said, the, all those cars, those cars that are set up that they find sort of when they first initially get to the property, it's like, these are clearly the cars of people that have fallen through the, into this trap before. And the house is full of bones. It's like, if they find an animal, it's dead. Like anywhere near the property, everything is getting sucked in. Nothing can escape it. And I think that's so fascinating that what makes the final girl thing, the idea that she escapes so much more powerful is mm-hmm. like everything else has been pulled in and mm-hmm. killed and consumed by this house and the people within yes. it. And she's the one that gets out and she makes it. Speaking of her escape, let's talk about her final escape from Leatherface and, and his family. She just like uh, decides to bolt, right? She kind of fights off old grandpa and no one else is kind of like thinking she can do it, I guess, because she's, you know, tied up and tired. But she gets out. She takes a couple hits to the head and jumps out that Breaks window. Breaks through a few windows. Breaks through a few windows. Yeah, multiple windows throughout the movie. That is like her secret power throughout <laughs> oh, yeah. this film. It's like when in doubt, jump through a window. It's yeah. like it doesn't matter where you are, how high up on the house you are. It's like just jump out the window and you will get out. And it's a solid plan. And I love how they choose to do it twice. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, that's how you get out of like a horror house you fucking break through the window so many so many horror films you have the people like run up the stairs you know and then they get trapped there and it's like oh what do you do and it's like no you follow through on your first plan which is you go up and in worst case scenario you jump and she's the only one that has the guts Mm -hmm. to do it and then do it twice but the way that she breaks through and it's like she's gone through this harrowing experience you know she's gotten out of their clutches she jumps through the window and the amount of elation and thankfulness that I felt when she breaks through that window and it's light, it's like daytime, you know, mm-hmm. they have that entire extended running ch- chase sequence mm-hmm. and it's all in the dark and you spend a, so much time in the dark, in the dark, in the dark, and then all this really gruesome and terrifying stuff. And then it's like, oh, daylight, like you made it through the night. You have a chance. Run, girl, run, please run, please run. And you're just like. You are so there with her in her escape. And I I was shocked how good I felt to see that sunlight. And I was just like, wow, mental note, sunlight, such a powerful tool that you just utilized. Mm-hmm. Mm. And when she escapes, she's running through the field. She gets to the road. The first guy <laughs> rolls up in a big old 18 wheeler. She gets in the car. The driver gets in the car and then out comes the other face. Just drive. You're in the car. Just, yeah. <laughs> Get the fuck out. Move. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think that's cool. It's like Toby Hooper like gives you, doesn't give you an opportunity to like relax. Mm. It's like no one is moving near fast enough in that scene. You're like, go, go. Like he's going to be mm. right there. And he is like right there so soon. Like everyone is sort of overwhelmed by this like man in a disgusting skin mask. They both decide to get out the car for some reason. A second car comes up. Sally does the right thing and gets into the trunk of the car and then yes. the first truck driver just keeps running the opposite opposite direction. Like, what are you doing? I mean, <laughs> where have you gone? Where are you? Why are you not also in the truck? How are we just going to leave this man to die like that? Also, it's just he was like a man of color. It's like 1974, so he's just like running down this like deserted highway, like screaming and flailing. Like <laughs> nobody's going to pick him up. Yeah. No, not a chance. It does not end well for him, which is unfortunate because he really helps save the day. He buys her just enough time to get to that second car. And then when she finally gets in that second car, 
they're driving off and it has like one of the most iconic endings in not only horror movie history, probably like in film history, people who haven't seen this movie have seen this scene or bits of the scene. Yeah. Well, so I've, I hadn't seen the film, but I'd seen the ending everywhere. Like it's kind of, <laughs> right. It, it's just something like if it's just something you see, see when Sally's driving away in the back of the truck, it's just like, she's just covered in blood and she's just experienced this like horrific thing. Like she's been, completely unmade and also mm-hmm. like activated at the same time. Like she jumped through two windows. <laughs> we get Sally covered in blood, crying and laughing uh, in the back of this truck. She drives away and then it cuts to the leather face and he's just dancing. I mean, speaking of catcher, you said, or boom, you said uh, he's like a kid with his toys. He's dancing, you know, spinning around his chainsaw, all this sort of stuff. Like it's, it's so iconic and like very unsettling also because yeah, He's like not mad he she got away. He's just kind of like, oh well, you know, like that was fun. Like come back. Yeah, exactly. You're just like, oh, that was just play, like that was playtime. And he's he's just happy to have the experience. Yeah. And, <laughs> but he's out there still. And you're like, that crazy maniac is running around, spin playing what's yeah, what was that? Skip it? What was that skip thing? <laughs> What was that? You yeah, know that skip thing it. Was, skip it. Yeah, skip yeah, it. Yeah. He's got, playing skip it with a chainsaw and he's just having a time. And you're like, this guy is so far removed from the reality of stuff. And that maybe, and you know what? That's what makes him so terrifying now that I'm thinking about it. Like everything is so natural. Mm-hmm. Everything is so shot, so grounded, so in such a natural way, like documentary style, Ian, like you've said a few times. Like, so that to have the char- a character that is the so the complete opposite he is so not grounded mm. in reality he's so not of what's happening for most other people he's just out to lunch on a separate plane in a different space mm-hmm. and i maybe yeah. that's sort of what makes him so terrifying is because he is sort of the anti of everything else so now is the time of the show when we go to what we call our criterion moment uh we're each going to choose our favorite scene or moment or sequence or moment uh, that we think is the reason why Criterion has decided uh, to put this, in this case, on the channel. Um, who wants to go first? I would say my Criterion moment is both times Sally jumps out the window. <laughs> I think we're, we were talking about um, what makes a final girl. Um, and I think jumping through a window two times is what makes a final girl. It was absolutely iconic. It was exciting to watch um so yeah that's that's my criterion moment i don't have much to expand on but i just i just think it was freaking awesome no i agree i agree there's it's weird because it's like such a like like a a thing you see in movies and stuff like people jump through the window but something about it was like actually super powerful i totally agree with you she just goes like she's just like there she doesn't look down like she doesn't take a moment to think about it like she both times she just does it catch what are you so for mine um i think it's the opening crawl for me you know i think it's Mm -hmm. the idea of sort of like here's a really scary movie you know that you've had like sort of murder films previous to this you know like horror films existed obviously before this film but what's so cool about this Mm -hmm. is it really sort of ties it into reality and really ties it into playing with the audience 
and saying get, to create this real sense of real dread that this could be this could happen to you this this could be right down the block from you you know serial killers at this time are becoming something that people know about and it's part of like popular discussion and so the that idea of sort of like bringing that into the real world for sure i think that's the thing that makes this more than just like a horror film or a slasher what about you ian uh my pick is the ending scene it is cliche Mm -hmm. as i said everyone has seen it but i do think it's so cool um it's real yeah it's so cool like her emotion is something you don't really see in a lot of final girl final girl tropes and endings like the way Mm -hmm. she is she's not being consoled by anyone she's literally just like laughing because she's like someone said she is she was unmade you know uh Mm -hmm. and i think that's a really that was a cool way to say it and uh it it captures so well and then you just get that swirling chainsaw in the freeze room i don't i I love that so much i think that's it's such a cool ending and deserves all the praise it gets for being one of the iconic uh movie endings yes let's go to uh our things we would pair with it we need to come up with a clever name for this if you have a clever name for what we should call the section in which we pair uh, things with our movie picks, um, shoot us an email. What is, uh, so I'll go first. So my thing I would pair it with, uh, I think I would pair it with my favorite final girl of all time, which, who is uh, Sigourney Weaver in Alien. Sigourney Weaver is so unbelievably badass in that movie. So badass. Rocking those tidy whities like none other, fighting off aliens. Uh, so those my Reeboks. pairing, yeah, yeah, yeah. So my pairing would be uh, watch Alien alongside the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Catcher, how about you? What's your pairing? Okay, so I was doing a lot of research for this because horror, like I said, is sort of something I've been like really getting into the last few years. So I really just wanted to get into the history and reading up some stuff. And obviously in your research, uh, Giallo films, horror films uh, coming, a lot of them out of Italy, being made in Italy. Um, we have some friends who do a podcast called Bat and Spider and they've covered a few of them on their podcast and Shout I've just been Bat really, I love that show. Um, so I've been really excited and interested. Um, and I was hoping to do pairings with stuff that I had seen, but with all this stuff around me, I'm really excited to watch it. So I'm going to give this as a pairing suggestion to myself as long as well as like to the listeners. Uh, but I'm going to go with Mario Brava's. Mm-hmm. Blood and Black Lace. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, from it's sorry, it's from 1964, and it's sort of one of the proto slashers. Sort of like Texas Chainsaw, sort of the next stage in the evolution on our way to uh, slasher flicks. And so I don't know much about it, like I said, because I myself haven't seen it. But it's something I'm really excited to see. Uh, Giallo films in general, I think, are really exciting. So I'm gonna go with Blood and Black Lace. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Giallo movies. Um, John Carpenter has said that Halloween, he was trying to bring the Giallo vibe uh, to like yeah. American film. So great pick also. Boom. What about you? What is your pairing? Last week I paired Parasite with Set It Off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I've decided that I'm just going to slowly attempt to turn this podcast into a Jada Pinkett (laughs) fan club. I'm here for it. Yes, yes, yes. And yes, as you should be. Um, So yeah, with that being said, I invite you all to get entangled into the chaotic mess that is Demon Knight. Uh, It's a a Tale from the Crypt movie. I think it came out in like 1995. It stars Billy Zane, 
Oh, yes. The Phantom. The Phantom himself. At a 110%. Like, this movie is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Um, and you have these, like, little segments where, like, Billy Zane is just trying to, like, lure these, like, <laughs> people over to the dark side. And it is hilarious. Um, and it also delivers Jada Pinkett as the first black final girl Ooh. in horror. Um, it's definitely like comedy horror. It It's not a slasher film, but it is ridiculous. It's a lot of fun. And I think watching Texas Chainsaw and then watching Demon Knight is <laughs> a fun thing that everybody should do. So, hell, yeah. Yes. That's, That's awesome. Two well for done. two of Jada Pinkett picks from uh, <laughs> from Boom. I love it. Uh, again, another shout out to our, our friends, Dale underscore A and Chuck over at Bat and Spider. They also do a Tales from the Crypt retrospective called uh, The Crypt Keeper's Coffin. Crypt Keeper's Coffin. Uh, okay. So if you're I interested, if people are interested in Tales from the Crypt, go ahead and check out that podcast as well. Uh, what is our um, ratings on this movie? Scale of one to five, five being the highest. Um, I'll go first. My, I really love this movie. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I'd seen it couple times before easy 4.5 out of five for me. Uh, I think again, like I said earlier, it deserves all the praise it gets as being iconic. I don't think this movie will ever go away. Um, even if bad remakes like Texas chainsaw massacre 3d, I don't think anything will sully this movie's reputation. Um, so 4.5 out of five for me. I'm right down there with you. I think for me, it's so iconic. It's so classic. I think there's a couple things I tweak here or there. Uh, some a little bit of editing stuff I would change. So for me, easy, no problem for four and a half out of five stars. Like it's so good. Like and and surprisingly so. Like mm-hmm. I really was not expecting to enjoy it or f- or find the filmmaking in this film to be as exquisite and as as like well crafted as it is. And there's, oh, it's wonderful. Everyone should really see this movie. Nice boom. Um, I'm gonna do a four out of five. Mm-hmm. Only because Sally didn't jump out of three windows. <laughs> <laughs> the rule and that's of threes. All I have to say about that. Everybody knows it's a rule of threes, right? <laughs> right, rule of threes. We needed one window jump in each act of the movie, and that would absolutely that would have been a perfect five star uh, from Boom. Right now, I think Catcher. You said we have one email. We have our first email that came in. Is this correct? Guys, we have our first letter. We have our first letter. Uh, If you would like to send us a letter. Is it a love letter? (laughs) If you would like to send us a letter or an email, like I said before, go ahead and shoot us uh, an email at cinenotspod at gmail.com. And you can give us thoughts on this movie or the movie we're going to talk next week, which we will reveal in just a minute. But catch. All right. So our first letter comes from Cassandra. She writes in saying, just listened to the episode on Parasite and loved it. Great mix of analysis, insight, and banter. You can really feel your guys' passion for film. It's, uh, it's thought-provoking and entertaining, and the pairing says the pairing segment is fantastic. So this is very good. We're already on a good track here. <laughs> Can't wait to hear more, especially the episode on Armageddon. Ian, yes. this is it. This, this is, is it. Gonna be, yeah. this, is, this is my time. That's right. Uh, and hopefully one on Pan's Labyrinth. So Ooh. we'll see about that if okay. that makes it onto somebody's list. I've actually never seen it. Oh, yeah. It's a good one. All right. It's a good one. So, yeah. She says, thanks again, everyone. Great job. Can't wait to hear more. And that's from Cassandra. Thank you, Cassandra. Thanks, Cassandra. For the record, I do not know who who Cassandra is. That is, (laughs) as far as I know, a real email. It actually is a real email. Okay. That is a real email. And I did not not plant that Armageddon pitch. 
but it is coming. <laughs> it will happen. We group pick Parasite, but I, I put that forward last week. Catcher picked the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So it is Boom's turn. Boom, what is going to be your pick for next week? So the movie I've chosen for this week is called Rafiki. It's a queer love story that takes place in Nairobi, Kenya. Um, in Kenya, homosexuality is actually illegal. So it definitely makes for some interesting themes. Uh, this film was re- well received in the festival circuit and with international audiences, but it was banned in Kenya. So there's a really interesting story there. Um, it's a wonderful story. I'm so excited to explore it with both of you. So yeah, Rafiki next week. Also, Rafiki means friend. So Ooh, and nice. we're friends. Nice. We're friends. And we're and we're friends. <laughs> this is so exciting. So Rafiki again, 2018. It's available on the Criterion Channel, obviously. Also available to stream on Tubi TV uh, or on the TCM channel, and you can rent it on you know Amazon, Apple, anywhere you. Oh, yes, I'm watch. so excited. I hope I, everybody I'm... watches. It's so good. I yeah. Well, we'll talk more about it next week. <laughs> definitely watch watch along with us. And yes, yeah. again, if you want to leave us a comment, you watch it. Want to leave us a comment? Have a question about Rafiki or about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or about Be anything like in general. Be like Cassandra, who's yeah. not Ian. Not <laughs> <Yeah>. Ian, again. <laughs> and email us in your, your thoughts. Yeah, at synonautspod at gmail.com or tweet at us, Instagram us, at synonauts on both. Uh, boom, catcher. Thanks for hanging out. I look forward to this every week. Thank you, Ian. Yeah, yeah thank you, Ian. Thank you for your <laughs> hospitality and letting us come here into your home and record. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> It's a blast. I'm so excited. Yes. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. Bye.